3: Welcome to a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions about the Bible, questions about how to deal with the problems in your life according to the Word of God. We'll do the best we can because we want you to know. 340-9585 is our number for your live calls and questions. 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, you can also send them in via our free mobile app the calvary chapel mobile app uh, if you are driving in your car the safest way to call is to use the kslr mobile app just push the call now button and you will be connected directly to our wonderful producer at the studio at kslr uh, we love your live calls we've got a lot of good questions but the questions from the callers always take precedence Uh, So that's the way we'll go. We'll get to those questions in just a moment. A couple of things. I want to send a special um, sort of shout out of love to May Cruzado wishing her a happy birthday. That's Pastor Ken's wife. She's been on the radio program filling in for me and Paula uh, from time to time uh, with Pastor Ken. And today is her birthday. And I am blessed that God sent you into our lives. So thank you, May, and God bless. Uh, Also tonight, because it's Monday, uh, ladies, our Sweet Summer Devotion series continues. Uh, Lisa Stevens will be uh, sharing her heart tonight. Um, It'll be interesting to see what God puts on her heart. This is one of the shyest women I've ever known. Uh, And she is just sort of blossomed. She's still shy but not like she used to be. And I'm anxious to hear what she has to say. I'll have to wait till tomorrow when I, I, I listen to it online. But uh, tonight at 7 o'clock, uh, all of that's going on. In addition, Pastor Ken will be teaching the men in our Men's Bible Study. Uh, And Pastor Nellie will be teaching our high school age youth uh, in the high school Bible study. All of that at 7. Child care, of course, is provided. We've got great fun and programs for your kids as well. So get here early. We're always crowded on the Sweet Summer Devotions, but you will be blessed. If you can't get here, you can watch it live stream at CalvarySA.com. Well, we're kind of settling down from vacation, lots and lots of people were at church again yesterday. so uh, I hope you had a great day at church. We did We finished Romans chapter six, and for me personally now i I get involved of course with the messages, but for me personally, it was just such a wonderful message in terms of of this is what God wants for us, and this is the way he wants us to live and and um um I I really enjoyed it. Next week we start, or this week actually now, we start in Romans chapter 7. Wherever you went to church, I pray that people got saved. With everyone who does, we're one step closer to Jesus coming back for his church, and that can't be fast enough for me, and I'm sure it can't be fast enough for Lisa Stevens. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Okay, one more time, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let me go to some of the questions that have been sent in. The first one is from our email inbox from Anonymous, uh, and he or she says, uh, as a ministry leader, I'm assuming he, how should you handle a type of situation with someone who comes to the group who is starting gossip and division. Uh, There was an incident where I had to correct this person in private and now has started gossiping to others about this. Anonymous gossip, and I say this to our church all the time, I think is the prevailing sin inside the Christian church. We should never say anything bad about somebody unless we're saying it to them. And then we should only say it in love. Now, I think there's two problems with gossip, and then I'll get more directly to your question. I think the first problem is that uh, gossipers always find an audience. You know, if somebody who was gossiping didn't have anybody to talk to, then it wouldn't matter what they were saying or thinking about people. It would matter between them and their relationship with the Lord, but but nobody would be affected. I think we have to train our people in church and in these ministry situations that you described not to listen to gossip. The moment somebody starts to gossip, saying anything unkind, the intent to harm, I don't care whether it's true or not. If somebody is unwilling to say something to someone's face and they're trying to say you, it, you ought to say, You know, excuse me, I, I don't really want to listen to this. I'm, I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm here to listen for the voice of God. So that's what we ought to do. We need to train the audience for gossip to walk away and how pleasing to the Lord they would be in that process. In your particular situation, as a leader of the ministry, obviously you have to handle it. You handled it right where you had to correct this person in private. But if she started gossiping to, or he or she has started gossiping to others about uh, your personal conversation, then you need to take two or three others with you and go and say it all over again. Look, I, I, I talked to you about gossip. You were spreading stories. You were spreading lies. You were spreading un, uh, harsh things, and, and you need to stop, but you keep doing it. But now I'm the object of your gossip, so I brought two other witnesses with me, and we're here in love. We want to correct you, but... but Want to correct you is because we want you to be able to walk in the fullness that God has for you. And because, as I said, gossip is the prevailing sin in the church, we get so used to not only gossiping but listening to the gossip that most of the time we no longer even consider it. So you have to deal with the Bible says, Matthew 18, take, you, you went in private, you've done that. But you have to act more quickly than normally, I would say, in a Matthew 18 situation, because there are other people now who are being hurt as this person spreads gossip. So now take a couple of witnesses with you. Sit down with her in love, or him in love. I, I, I'm not assuming it's a woman. But sit down in love. And explain the damage that's being done. Explain how it's broken the Lord's heart. One of the things that I say to people, anonymous, is this. I say, how would you ever explain, face to face with Jesus, why you spoke badly of someone he loved, someone for whom he died? You handled it right, but now you've got to take an extra step because the gossip has to stop. Gossip will destroy the fruitfulness of a ministry. Um, Where there's gossip, there's no spirit of God. There's no power of God. So it's one of those things that has to be handled gently in love, but it has to be handled directly. And too often, uh, anonymous, we, we don't um, think of directly and lovingly in the same sentence, but that's exactly what it is. So that's how we do it. That's how I would do it. Um, I'm sure you didn't mean this, but this is what people are hearing. And give this person an out, the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm sorry, you're right. And then finally this, pray for this person. Pray for him, pray for her. That the Lord would open their heart to the damage that's being done. And most of the damage, incidentally, is being done in this person's relationship with the Lord. So that's the best I can do on that. Those are always difficult things. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous uh, question from our email uh, inbox. Uh, hi, Pastor on I have a friend who is in a relationship with a man who is now her roommate. Uh-oh. That's my insert here. Uh, they say there is nothing going on, and in all actuality, they have the, carried on with their lives. They are pursuing relationships and maintain that they are strictly friends. She asked if this is okay with God. She says she's no longer attracted to this person. She's newly saved. Her old boyfriend roommate is not. What are your thoughts? My thoughts, anonymous, are to tell her to find another roommate, one who believes in Jesus. She has been involved physically with this man, and now she says she's no longer attracted to him. She's fooling herself. Uh, It always gives the enemy an opportunity to to step in and and, uh, destroy. Uh, So she needs to distance herself from this person completely. I'm not really big on the keep away from all appearance of evil. We all have dalliances with the appearance of evil. Um, It's just not healthy for two people who have been sexually active to live together and pretend they're not or they're not going to be again. It just doesn't happen. Whenever somebody comes to me and says, well, we live together, but I know I'm not supposed to have sex, so we're not having sex, you know, you're sharing intimate things. You're walking around the house in various stages of undress. You're taking showers. You're doing things. These are things that need to be done in a way that pleases the Lord. So what I would do, uh, Anonymous, is counsel your friend lovingly, but, but pretty boldly, that this is a relationship that is unhealthy. It's a relationship that doesn't please the Lord. I don't think it's okay with God, because God would want her in a safe place, out of danger, out of... Uh, the, the 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 direct line of temptation, so it's really important I think that she understands this is for her own good. This isn't something that that uh, is you know if somebody is a roommate with somebody from the opposite sex, and the relationship has always been platonic, and there is no sex going on, we take people at their word. But men and women who live together generally are having sexual relations. And it's just not a good thing, especially, especially with her past. So she needs to be careful, because she says she's no longer attracted to him. She might think she's okay. But remind her that because she's newly saved, she's like Jesus' this little baby girl. And he's going to protect her and care for her. And this roommate, because he doesn't belong to Jesus, isn't somebody that she ought to be uh, influenced by. It isn't somebody that she ought to be spending a bunch of time with. So I hope that helps a little bit, Anonymous. I appreciate your question. 340-9585 for your live calls. Here's a really important and thoughtful question from Jacinta. Uh, Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? I became a Christian many years ago. reason I began thinking about the death of Jesus, he is God, and therefore he's the most powerful because he created the world. Who made him responsible to suffer and die for us? Did we belong to the devil when we were born? Did the devil make a deal with God? If so, why did God listen? He could have destroyed the devil. Parents don't kill themselves to prove their love, to prove they love their kids. So why did Jesus have to do that? If I was so powerful, I would have told the world to behave or else. Please let me know your thoughts based on biblical teachings. I listen to the radio on my way to work sometimes. I enjoy the messages. Thank you, uh, Ron and Paula. Jacinta, it's a beautiful name, uh, and your question is important because I think we too often look at questions like this from a worldly perspective. Of course, as a parent, we wouldn't ask our children to do something that, that would be so serious as to die for somebody else. Now... I'm going to take your questions sort of in order, but there's a couple of them in there that are really important. Uh, because you became a Christian many years ago, it's a good thing to continue thinking about the death of Jesus. It's the ultimate expression of love. I always use the King James word, the uttermost of his love, that he died for your sins. And you're right, he is powerful. He did create the world. And the answer to your question, who made him responsible to suffer and die for us, the the answer to that question is he did. He did. It wasn't a responsibility, it was a privilege. You see, Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune God, in, in perfect harmony, created everything perfect. Adam and Eve were created. They walked in the cool of the garden with God, covered by the glory, the Shekinah of God. And yet they blew it and sin entered the world. Now, when Jesus created Adam and Eve, He knew they were going to do that, but He created them anyway. And the reason He created, because the triune God came up in eternity past with a plan for salvation. He came up with a plan to save us. Now, it takes a man to die for the sins of other humans. Adam, the first um, human, ruined it for us. There was a second Adam, Roman says, the Lord Jesus, who died to make all of it right. And individually, as you know, having become a believer a long time ago, we needed only to believe and receive Jesus. But his death was a gift. You might remember in Genesis chapter 22, the foreshadowing of Jesus' death on the cross when Abraham was asked by God to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. You see, Isaac was the gift of God, Jacinta. But Abraham, who received the gift, became more enamored with the gift than with the giver of the gift. In other words, in priority, Isaac took the place of God. Abraham lost focus, so God brought him back into that place. Take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. As they were leaving, to go up that three-day journey to make the sacrifice, Abraham said to Sarah, the lad and I will return. As they approached the place we call Calvary, it was exactly the same location, Isaac, a young man at this time, said to his father, he said, Father, we have everything we need for the sacrifice except the sacrifice. Where is the lamb? or the ram for the sacrifice. And Abraham's answer is God will provide Himself for a sacrifice. You see, this was always the plan of God, and when God the Father sent God the Son, and God the Son considered equality with God not to be grasped, not to be held onto, He humbled Himself and became a person, a human being. And He suffered the, 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 the greatest indignities one could suffer on this earth, but because he was without sin and because he was a human and could relate to humans, that's what Hebrews 5 says, when he died, he died and we were set free, he died and we live. So it was a perfect sacrifice acceptable to God, and that's why Jesus had to die. A saint, if he didn't die, we'd all be lost. If he didn't die, the heart of God would be broken. Now, the heart of God is still broken when people reject Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But he offers salvation to everyone. Now, God didn't make a deal with the devil. God doesn't make deals with the devil. The devil is a servant of God, a created being who also exercised his free will his free will to rebel. And, of course, Satan and a third of the angels fell in that rebellion. You see, God never forces His love on anyone. It's true, we were born condemned, but mm-hmm. Jesus reversed the curse. And that, I seem to, is why Jesus had to die. Now, I laughed a little bit when I read part of this. If I was so powerful, I would have told the world to behave or else. Well, you know, if God did that, imagine how many people, including this pastor, would be in hell. Because the truth is, God tells people to behave or else all the time, but the or else is eternity in hell. And people don't listen. It's because we inherited the sin nature from Adam. That's why we were born condemned, we were all born into sin. Sinful from birth, David said, in my mother's womb. And just as a child doesn't listen to a parent when a parent says, you better behave, the human race didn't behave. And we're not going to. That's why Jesus had to come and die for our sins. Paul writes in Second Corinthians five twenty one, He who knew no sin became sin. Here's why, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's why he had to die. And it is the most wonderful gift ever. Now, I sent said two quick things, and we'll go on to something else. I, I pray that you're at a, a Bible teaching church. Um, these are pretty basic things of our faith. And you should know every time you come to the table of the Lord, you're celebrating his death, remembering it until he comes again for us. It's very important. Secondly, remember, as I mentioned at the very beginning, to keep thinking about the death of Jesus. Because that's the way he expressed how much he loved you, how special you were. And it's almost like God from heaven saying, I can't imagine heaven without you, Jacinta. So here's the gift of life that comes at the greatest cost in the history of the world, the cost of my son's life. So that's the answer. I hope it makes sense to you. God bless you. I appreciate it very, very much. Three 9585 Let's go to Victor calling from San Antonio on line one. Victor, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Yes, sir,
2: Pastor Ron. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have a question. I was wondering if uh, you uh, could recommend a resource on the subject of uh, hermeneutics. And also, I, I, uh, I believe I heard you say that you did, uh, put on your somewhere on your website a list of books that you recommended on different subjects that it's important for uh, the believers to know. And uh, I'll uh, I'll hang up. I'm I, I'm not sure where it is on that website. I, I looked on it briefly. I'm not very good on a computer, but I'm learning. But if you would, uh, I'll hang up and I'll listen to your answer on the radio. Thanks a lot, Mr. Pastor Rock.
3: Thank you, Victor. God bless you. And I'll, I'll be a couple minutes to get this question, so I'll take another question, and then, Victor, I'll come back to this. I'm having uh, my my research guy here. I, I'm not a computer person either. Very, I don't see well enough, so uh, he's going to the website. We do have a list of, of recommended materials and resources uh, to read. Uh, the last time I looked, it was pretty easy to find. If I can find it, anybody can. But but uh, on the other side of the break, Victor, I will make sure I can do exactly how to get there, and those are really, really great resources. Um, books on hermeneutics, you have to be really careful, now, hermeneutics, for those who don't know, is the science of Bible interpretation, It's there's, there's a, a method to it, a consistency to it, uh, it's actually hermeneutics is for any kind of, of uh, piece of literature, but we're talking the Bible here, and it's really important. Now, uh, I don't normally recommend this guy's stuff, um, so um, be, be take it with a grain of salt and probably don't read a bunch of other stuff that he has, but but his book on hermeneutics was excellent. It's David Hocking, H-O-C-K-I-N-G. I I read it in Bible College. Uh, He is a man that I know, so um, um, that's a book that I can recommend heartily. Uh, The other books on hermeneutics that you can find, and the problem with them is they come from a perspective where they're trying to fit their uh, interpretation of the Bible um, uh, around the hermeneutic instead of reading the Bible and, and seeing exactly what that is. But uh, hermeneutics matters a lot. David Hawking, uh, H-O-C-K-I-N-G, you can Google him. And, and uh, resources available for, available for sale. Uh, and uh, his book on hermeneutics is a really, really good one. So we'll... Uh, We'll do that. And, Victor, on the other side of the break, I'll get you uh, the exact how-to on our website. Three four let's go to Bastro and talk with Aaron on line one. Aaron, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Aaron, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you doing? Ha- Good, Aaron. Thanks for calling.
1: Okay. Good. I-, I got a question for you. And coming from the book of Acts, and Ananias and Sapphira, Jesus, I know that Jesus, He died for our sins and we won't be judged, the believer won't be judged on, on sin. So my question is, how do you reconcile that Ananias and Sapphira, them, I know they lied to the Holy Spirit and they, and they died, but if Jesus died for our sins, why did they, uh, why did they die? That was, that's my question.
3: Okay, I can take that, Aaron. Thank you very, very much. I'm going to get off the air, and I'm
1: going to listen to you. Okay, thanks, Aaron. All
3: right, thank you. Appreciate you listening in Bastrop. Um, You know, Jesus did die for our sins, and uh, ostensibly, though we won't know for sure, uh, Ananias is from heaven, um, but sin has consequences. And in this particular case, the consequences were so severe because the stakes were so high. Now, Aaron, one of the things that you have to remember is that this was the first time that sin entered into the church to attack the church uh, with the sin of hypocrisy, Um, uh, God's brand new pure and holy church, and all of a sudden moved by an enemy, the enemy of our soul. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira came up with a plan to lie to God. It's just that simple. They saw Barnabas comes in, he distributes at the end of chapter 4 all of his belongings at the feet of the apostles, everybody acknowledges him, and Ananias and Sapphira were sitting there thinking, you know, I want people to think of me like that. I want to be considered generous, and I want to be considered spiritual. And so they came up with a plan. Let's say we're giving all of our money, but we're only going to give them half of the money. And when Peter came in, he said, you haven't lied to men, but you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. And that was the first circumstance where sin entered inside the church to try to destroy it, to try to create a false impression. It shows us how much God hates hypocrisy, but it was a one-time statement where, though God gave him a chance through Peter, The wife came in, did you do this, and you sell it for such and such, and she said, yes we did, and then she died. They didn't have to lie, they did, they could have kept their stuff, they could have given half of it and said, we're giving half of it, and they would have been thrilled, everybody would have been thrilled. But that was a sin, and sin always has consequences, and theirs was severe. Hope that helps, Aaron. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the second half of the Monday edition of the program. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR for your live calls and questions. Victor, I've got the information. Also, it came to uh, mind and heart. uh, Another really, really good book on hermeneutics. Uh, It is a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. The author is Gordon D is in dollar fee f e e and you will love reading him now he's a really really smart guy and sometimes you got to really really concentrate but that is really a good book on hermeneutics as well. Uh, there is another book called Exegetical Fallacies by D.A. Carson, and uh, in that book, there is a great deal on hermeneutics as well, and uh, D.A. Carson is, is one that I can recommend to you highly. Now, with regard to the book list that I uh, uh, give out, uh, I'm sorry that it's not quite as prominent on our website as it once was, uh, but right now the people are working feverishly behind the scenes to make it more prominently uh, uh available uh, and and maybe by tomorrow the next day that will be done. but right now go to the calvarysa.com website go all the way to the bottom page. at the very bottom you'll see three categories about media and ministries and under media go down to resources hit resources and that's where you'll be able to find it okay? appreciate it very, very much. Thank you uh, for your patience. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app from Mary. Mary, I wish you hadn't asked this question. <laughs> when animals die, do they go to heaven? If not, where in the Bible does it say that? Now Mary, every time I answer this question people get upset, but believe me, it's not my fault. I didn't make these decisions I'm a dog person so I love my dog he's with if if there was ever a dog who was saved it's my dog however and when animals die they do not go to heaven having said that I want you to understand that there's nothing in heaven that we will lack our lives won't be somehow richer in heaven if our animals are there So, no, when animals die, they do not go to heaven. Heaven is a place for God's family. Not your family or my family, but for God's family. God's family is people. Jesus came to die for people. Now, it doesn't say in the Bible that animals don't go to heaven. That's not an issue that the writers of the Bible would have dealt with. They would have understood clearly, of course, what that is. Now, here's how we know that animals don't go to heaven, Mary. They don't go to heaven because only man, Adam and Eve, were created in the image of God. Now, the image of God doesn't mean look like Him, but the image of God means basically two things. You know, we get all these sort of syrupy... Um, comments from time to time from people, you know, uh, these people were created in the image of God, and just because you don't like the way they live their lives, um, they're created in the image of God, they're going to be in heaven too. No, that's not, we're we're getting to heaven through Jesus. And being created in the image of God doesn't mean what people like to think it means. Here's what it means. There are two basic things that, that entail being created in the image of God. The first is that we are born and we enter into eternity. We're going to be somewhere forever. Now, eternity with Jesus, we call heaven. Eternity separated from Jesus, we call hell. But it means that we're going to be eternal. It's not like God can just say, well, you know what, instead of sending them hell, I'm just going to kill him and that's the end of it. No, we're eternal beings. That's the fact of life. So that's the first way that we're creating the image of God. The second meaning to being created in the image of God is this. It means we have a choice. Just like God chose us, we, who are humans, created in His image, have the ability to choose. God doesn't force us to love Him. So He gives us the choice to love Him. And the choice we make will determine where we spend eternity. Now, married dogs and cats and other kinds of animals aren't created in the image of God. They were created for our pleasure. Adam, you'll remember, was given dominion or control over the animal kingdom, and the fall messed all that up. Now, I say that as somebody who, again, I repeat, I loved my dog, Modo, so much. He was the best dog ever. But I don't need him in heaven, because in heaven I'll have Jesus. In heaven, I'll have a fullness of relationships with other people that, that we can't even begin to understand. So, your animals won't be in heaven, but you will, and Jesus will be there. And I promise you, there will be nothing that you lack. Now, often I get this question from children, and here's what I tell them. I say, you know... Your dog or your cat or whatever your pet is, is a gift to you from Jesus. He just wants you to enjoy it. While you, your dog is here on earth and you're here on earth, enjoy him or enjoy her. Because Jesus loves you so much, he gave you a great dog or a great cat. And they'll say, yes, he's great. And, and that satisfies kids. I don't know why adults have a hard time with this. spoken from the heart of a dog lover so Mary I hope that answers your question thank you for listening to the program very very much 340-9585 here is a question from our email inbox from AA Pastor Ron glad you are back from vacation and from the sound of you on the radio appearing to be doing well uh, prayers are being answered A. thank you very much for yours I appreciate it more than you know Uh, Regarding Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, this passage of scripture doesn't appear in any of the early manuscripts according to my Schofield 1984 NIV study Bible. That's a great Bible, by the way. If you know where we can get a bunch of those, I would love them. Uh, Back to the question. This section contains those passages which describe the handling of snakes. Deadly poison uh, will not hurt if done in the name of Jesus. My question is, why did the interpreters decide to include these verses if they weren't part of the original uh, manuscripts, especially in light of the containing passages, which may be part of certain congregations? I'm not sure I understand that. We've all heard stories of people handling snakes while in the spirit, and the snakes, especially rattlers, have been and killed people. wouldn't end better off if Mark had ended with chapter 16, verse 8. Uh, Let me first say that the people that handle snakes don't blame being dumb on Jesus or on the Word of God. Anybody who reads that passage with any depth of knowledge at all understands that has nothing whatsoever to do with people tempting, people being foolish in the name of God, and doing these crazy Pentecostal things. That was never God's intent, and the passage of Scripture never tells us to handle snakes. It's just a faulty interpretation, and it's been going on for so long. Just because people act foolish, don't blame the word AA. Secondly, um, whether or not a version has chapter 16, verses 9 through 20 or not, depends only on the manuscripts that they're translating. The Texas Receptus, or the majority transcripts, the King James, the New King James, the authorized version were, were translated from, they didn't appear in those manuscripts. The older manuscripts, now, the Alexandrian manuscripts, which your 1984 NIV study and the NASB and some of the others are translated from, those are the older transcripts, so it's just the other way around, and, and they, they were included there. So all the editors of the NIV and the other new versions are doing is letting you know they're giving you information that in this particular Bible, um, uh, this portion of Scripture wasn't included, um, and and in, in this one, we've included. They're not trying to hide anything or change anything. It's important because those verses belong there. Here's why. This is prophecy. The part about the snake, that's the offensive part to most people. Well, we remember in Acts chapter 28, don't we, where the Apostle Paul was bitten by a snake and he shot up in the fire. So that was just Jesus letting him know, these are the things that go to heaven. Signs and wonders will follow those who I sinned. And they did. That was a reference to the apostolic church. Now again, there's still miracles being done, just not the silly way we see it in these crazy churches. Miracles are still being done, but that was very specific prophecy for a certain thing and uh, it was fulfilled in Acts 28. Now that doesn't mean that Paul was the only one serving Jesus who got bit by a snake. It just means that that was an example of that prophecy being fulfilled. I believe with all of my heart, AA, that the, the, those uh, what we call disputed passages belong. They do no damage to the rest of Scripture. They don't contradict anything else. Uh, and it's just a matter of which manuscripts the translators are, are translating. If it's the Texas Receptus, you will see they're not there. If it's the uh, Alexandrian manuscripts, the older manuscripts, then you will see that they are there. So uh, thank you, A.A. I hope that answers your question. Let's go to Harold calling on line one. Harold, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Hello, Pastor Ron. I have a question also about the Bible. Um, I, I also have the NIV ESV, the King James version, and lately there's been a lot of hype. I believe it's the King James version, but it's called the Common Man Bible. And if it's a King James version, I don't know why it is, why the name would be a, a Common Man Bible. Uh, if you can respond on that. I done a lot of reading about it. I don't, you know, all I know, it has a wide edge around the thing, yeah. you know, around the pages.
3: Yeah, That's if, all I got. if I'm, thank you, Harold. I appreciate it. If if right, I remember bye-bye. correctly, uh-huh, if I remember correctly, and I haven't done a lot of research into the Common Man's Bible, it's just sort of a dumbed down version of the King James, which means it no longer is a King James version of the Bible. So, uh, I, it's not something that I would recommend uh, at all. Um, we we've got easier read versions of the Bible. Uh, the New Living Translation is one that I recommend uh, and the Living Bible um, um, w- with a grain of salt I recommend that you know in some instances the Living Bible nails the heart of the author so perfectly and I often quote from that when it does but there are other places where their liberty is taken in the in the paraphrase uh, but the New Living Translation is a little easier to read uh, but a common man's Bible um, you know Harold I'm, I'm not at all a fan of, of uh, targeted audience Bibles. Um, we can all read, we can study we, we have brains so um, if you're if you're studying out of the 1984 NIV, if you're studying out of the New King James and out of the ESV, those are three magnificent translations of the Bible and you can come to the right conclusion. So just keep studying those and don't worry so much at all about something called the common men's version of the Bible. There's a farmer's Bible. There's a ghetto Bible. There's all kinds of things. It's just publishers trying to sell and make money, and the publishers are not Christian. They are not concerned about keeping the integrity of the Word of God. They're concerned about reaching more audiences. The Bible is the best-selling book in the history of the world, uh, by so far it's not even close, but the point of them continuing to, to weaken it by retranslating it is is nothing more than an attempt to make money to reach different target audiences and increase their market share even more. So just be real, real careful. Again uh, from the previous question, if anybody out there can find the 1984 NIV Schofield Study Bible, Jump on it. It's really a good one, and I, I know I often say I don't like study Bibles, but the Schofield Study Bible has so little commentary in it. It's just really, really a good Bible. Uh, the Thompson Chain Reference is another one that that I can recommend hardly, if uh, if you have uh, a 1984 version of the NIV as well. So, Harold, thank you, and I hope that helps a little bit. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is uh, an email. Uh, Inbox question, another anonymous one. A friend invited us to attend her church vacation Bible school this week, and I registered my kids who are five and three. I arrived earlier than the session ended and toured the church and also attended the closing prayer, which was led by the senior pastor of the church, who I found out was a lady named Chris. Is this grounds enough for my kids not to attend VBS? Uh, Yeah, I I really believe it it is. You know, probably they're not going to do anything uh, offensive to the kids. Uh, But remember, I've said this many times on this program, Anonymous, that um, if if the pastor of a church is a woman, it's a church that doesn't have a pastor. And it's not a healthy church. And uh, your kids would be exposed uh, probably just to stories and dancing and fun uh, but it wouldn't be something that you could you could stand solidly and scripturally upon. Um, uh, by the way, our vacation Bible school, Calvary, we call it Calvary Kids Bible School, starts Monday, a week from today, uh, and and your kids can be my guest. In fact, all kids are our guests. We don't charge anything. We never do, but they will have a blast here. And our kids are are like pre-K and up, so uh, six years old and up. Pre-K to to 6th grade, so uh, um, they they would have a blast. It's really fun, and I promise you, Anonymous, you can trust what they're going to be taught in that church. Your kids are going to have a chance to respond to Jesus. It is an amazing thing to watch here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, and and what churches are doing with Vacation Bible School in large is really, really a blessing. You know, on Thursday, Paula will tell you probably if we talk about VBS, She's already practicing her dance routines and stuff because she likes to get involved. But it was Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible told me so uh, that she learned at the VBS that never left her heart, never left her heart. So I hope that helps. Anonymous, just in case you're interested, uh, our VBS, the hours are Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until noon. So thank you very, very much. Three four Let's go to Daniel calling on line one. Daniel, thanks for calling. You're on the air
2: hey ron i wanted to ask you a question i was looking at the uh, hebrews 11 where it talks about the people of faith and it says that they were justified because of their faith um, like for example the the prostitute uh during the that allowed the i guess she allowed the spies to come in um mm-hmm. uh, uh well my question is so the bible says that faith they Abraham was justified because of his faith it says he believed God and so God credited it to him as righteousness mm-hmm. so i so i want to fast forward that all the way down to Jesus cuz the bible says we have if we you know we have faith you know in in Jesus you know that so is it basically th- the justification part hasn't changed, right? It's, is it, so is it faith in God, or God is now calling us to have faith in Jesus to be yes. justified? Or I don't know if you understand my question, but I guess yeah. I'm trying to ask: How is it different than than now? Because you know, for example, the the prostitute, she was justified because of her faith, you know. And then there's many other examples of people that were uh, justified because of their faith. It didn't necessarily say that they had faith in Jesus, you know. So I'm yes. wondering, you know, going back to now, you know, is it that God justifies us because we have faith in him, or yes. is it strictly in Jesus? Or I, I know he's the same person, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you can speak on that I got it. And I'll take I got it. Thank you, Thank
3: you, Daniel. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's interesting. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God and go down to verse 14 in John chapter 1, says, And the word tabernacled, or dwelt among us. The idea there is, before Jesus came, remember, people are only accountable with what they do, with what they know. So, in the beginning, before Jesus came, before He was murdered, before He was risen from the dead, people believed in the word of God. Abraham believed God's promise and it was credited to him as righteousness. And everybody that you see in Hebrews chapter 11, those Old Testament saints, you know, they they didn't know, they, they, they died without having received the promise. Jesus hadn't come yet, but they believed in the promises of Jesus. So they wouldn't have known the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth, not at all, but they believed God's word, and it was credited to them as righteousness. Now for us on this side of the cross, Daniel, Uh, We also believe in the living Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, it's Jesus. So now we believe we have more information, and faith is credited to us uh, in exactly the same way. We're justified because we believe in the living Word. So before the cross, they believed in the Word of God and promises. Uh, After the cross, post-resurrection, we believe in what we know historically happened, and it's the living Word of God, and our faith is in Jesus. So it's the same belief, it's the same focus of faith, but we have more information than they did. So they believed God, and their sins were wiped away. And that's why they went to a place called Paradise, you can read about it in Luke chapter 16. And in Luke chapter 16, uh, we know that that's where Abraham's bosom was. And in, in that particular instance, uh, Jesus, after his death, uh, went down to that place and let captives free uh, to, to be with him in heaven. So very, very important. One other thought about uh, Rahab, because people ask about Rahab a lot. Um, that means you can lie and get to heaven? No. Um, Rahab ought to encourage all of us. Rahab... It's in Hebrews 11. She's in heaven because she believed. She had faith. She lied because she had weak faith. And that means when our faith is when we mess up, it doesn't cancel out believing God's word. She did the best she could with what she did. Should she have lied, nobody should ever lie. But sometimes we do. Rahab's lie paled in comparison to her faith, a faith that saved lives. So, Daniel, thank you very much. I hope that answers your question. Um, 340-9585. We're about five minutes into the program here. Here is five minutes left in the program, rather. Uh, here is a question from Jason, Uh pastor on in Acts 19, where Paul met believers in Ephesus. They were baptized into John's baptism. What does that mean? And were they Christians? They didn't get the Holy Spirit until after Paul prayed for them. So I'm assuming that's when they got saved. Uh, Jason, you're, you understand it correctly. Now, we read and, and we, we, there are certain words that we automatically make connections to. Um, he met some disciples there, it says in Acts chapter 19. And the minute we hear the word disciple, we assume, oh, they were Christians already. But that wasn't the case. These are men who were seeking God. The Bible says that, that if you seek God earnestly, he will be found by you. These were men who were seeking God with all of their heart. They were followers of the Baptist. They were baptized into John's baptism, which is a baptism of repentance, but it was incomplete knowledge, incomplete information to be saved. So when Paul, talking to them, understood there was something missing from their story, he said, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And their response, we didn't even know there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. So Paul told them the rest of the story, and then he prayed for them laid hands on them, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's when they began to prophesy. That, Jason, is when they became believers. So you've got it right. We just have to be careful when we look incorrectly at a passage. Because they were disciples, it means they were the disciples of John the Baptist. And we don't have to worry about, well, what would happen if they never would have run into Paul? God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. This was a divine appointment, and that divine appointment uh, begin a great, great, great work of God, um, and Paul started the church. He was there for over three years, almost three and a half years, and, um, What a great work it was. It's one of the churches, you will remember, that Jesus wrote one of his seven letters to. In fact, the first of his seven letters was written to the church at Ephesus. So uh, they got saved when Paul prayed for them because they believed in the one John pointed to. That's the information that Paul gave them in greater detail. So, um, Jason, thank you very much for the question. Okay, we are time-wise inside two minutes. Let me see if I can find a quick question. Uh, Yeah, let me do a... No, I'll do this one tomorrow, that's too much. Um, Jennifer. Uh, I talked about this one briefly, so I can do this quickly. Uh, Jennifer says, Why did God ask Abraham to kill his son? Um, he asked... It was a test. Every man given a trust by God must prove faithful, First Corinthians 4.2 says. Abraham, in the Old Testament, was no exception. Abraham um, became enamored with the gift of God, all of us would be, but he did so at the exclusion of his devotion to God. In other words, in terms of priority, Isaac became more valuable to Abraham than God did. and God was simply giving him the opportunity to sort of rearrange his priorities. This was a test. God never intended, uh, Jennifer, for uh, Abraham to kill his son. It wasn't something that was ever going to happen. but. This was a test designed by God to demonstrate where Abraham's true heart was. God always knew, but Abraham needed to know as well. Hey, great show today. Thank you for your questions and thank you for your calls. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock, Lord willing. Tonight at 7 o'clock, Sweet Summer Devotions, ladies, Lisa Stevens, will be sharing her heart. It's a heart you want to listen to. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back. See you then.